Uh, my name is Nathan McGahee, if we haven't met yet. Uh, I am so glad to be with you this morning. If you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to the book of Hebrews for me. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Hebrews. If you don't have a Bible, um, we have free Bibles out there in the lobby as a gift to you. We would be happy to give you one, uh, but if it's okay if you don't have it. It'll be up on the screen for you this morning. Um, while you're turning there, let me actually give you just a quick little idea of what we're working with here. So uh, the book of Hebrews is actually a sermon that's been written down. And so this sermon, uh, really in the first nine chapters, we'll be in chapter 10, in the first nine chapters, we see a theme, an overarching theme of this sermon, and that theme is that Jesus is superior, period. That's the theme of Hebrews. Jesus is superior. Now, he's superior to a lot of different things, right? But what the book of Hebrews, this sermon is really hitting on is the fact that he's superior to very specific people. He's superior to Moses. Like Moses was a big deal. He's superior to Elijah. Elijah was a big deal. He's superior to the angels. He is superior to anything and everything that you can possibly think of. And there's a reason that he's superior. And that's what we're going to get at today. Um, but here's the thing. What I want us to see in our passage this morning is two things. Two things that we're going to work through, uh, hopefully kind of logically as the, as the sermon gives us. But um, two things is, number one, our privilege as believers. First thing, we have a privilege as followers of Jesus. And we're going to see what that is and why that's so important. And the second thing we're going to see is our responsibility because of that privilege. We have a privilege as believers um, because of what Jesus has done. And we also have a response to what Jesus has done. And that's what we're going to talk about here this morning. So let me read our passage for us. I'll pray and then we will dive in. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25 says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, and let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity to openly and publicly worship you. We know that some places on this earth don't have that, that privilege that we have. So, Father, I ask that we don't take it lightly. Father, illuminate your word for us this morning. Illuminate the scriptures so that we can be formed and molded and changed to become more like your son. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, I don't know if a lot of people can actually say this, um, but... 
Some of my favorite memories in life, I'm only 25, so I've got, you know, hopefully some more life to live, but from the 25 years that I have, some of my favorite memories are from junior year and senior year of high school. Now, most of you may be thinking, are you serious? High school was terrible. I get it, right? Most of it was, but uh, I had specific memories that I absolutely loved and will cherish for the rest of my life, and it was with my youth group at the time. So I had just moved from Florida to Georgia, and I just needed, I needed people. I needed friends. I needed a community. I needed something. So my parents pushed me to you know, go find a church, go find a youth group, do what you got to do, uh, and I found a youth group. And in that youth group, it was just a small little youth group, about 30 to 40 of us, and uh, I made some of my best friends in that youth group. Uh, and I want to tell you about two specific people uh, and that I actually met at this youth group. First one uh, is a guy by the name of Parker. Uh, Parker, in actually in May of 2018, Parker passed away uh, in a freak accident, um, and it's super, super hard. But um, I absolutely love the memories that I made with Parker while he was still here with us. Uh, and I actually want to show you one of those memories that Parker and I made together. Um, it's called Parker and Nate Turn Up. Now, it's probably exactly what you think it is. Uh, it's a little weird. It's a little wild. Uh, but I want to show you. I don't want to describe it. I just want to surprise you with how incredible we were in high school. This is a video of Parker and Nate Turn Up. Yep, so that's what we did. Um, <laughs> what did your youth group do? Not that. Um, so, uh, yes, and I'm fully aware of my skin color, okay? I, we were going bananas, all right? I don't care. All right, so uh, Parker and Nate was... Uh, it was a dynamic duo, if you ask me, but that was something that we did in youth group that I actually, I took that, we called it Parker and Nate Turn Up. I took it, uh, and for those that don't know, I don't know how you don't know yet, but uh, I actually used to rap, and so what I would do is at the end of my shows, I would actually take what Parker and I did and put it at the end of my shows, and we would just kind of like go bananas. I'd throw water in the crowd. I'd jump into the crowd. It was super fun, and what I would do is I would take a video of that uh, after Parker passed away. I would take a video of, uh, of us going nuts, and I'd tell the story of Parker and the things that we did, and I'd send a video to his mom just to kind of say, hey, we're thinking about you. We're going nuts for Parker. So uh, a lot of really cool memories with Parker. Uh, the next guy that I want to tell you about is a guy named Chase. You've heard me talk about Chase before. Uh, here's a picture of me and Chase at my wedding. It's a little blurry, sorry. Um, but I mean, come on now. That's a, that's a handsome guy, right? And, and uh, Chase is pretty good looking too. So um, <laughs> But uh, just kidding, it was a joke. So uh, Chase and I, he was my best man at my wedding. Um, we're still best friends to this day. Uh, unfortunately, he lives like super, super South Georgia, so we don't get to see him as much. But um, still my best friend. Him and I went through a lot of things together, and we met at this youth group. Now, the reason I tell you about these two guys, and there was many more. There's many more friends. But the reason I tell you about these two guys is because um, if Parker didn't show up to church, if he didn't show up to youth group, if Chase didn't show up to youth group, if I didn't show up to youth group, these relationships would not be what they are today. It was the consistency of our attendance to youth group that led to the deepness of the relationship that we have today. It was the fact that we consistently showed up to youth group. Yeah, we would miss a, a Wednesday every now and then for sports or, or you know, being sick or homework or whatever it may have been. But it was the fact that we continuously showed up on a regular basis over those two years that led to the fact that I can tell you those stories about those two guys on this stage right now. 
And this was, I mean, I, this was 2014 and 2015, and I'm talking about them seven, eight years later, simply because they showed up. And what our passage this morning is talking about is this fact that we as a body of believers, not just in youth group, but in, you know, is what we would call big church, right? I know the kids in here are like, I'm in big church right now, right? But it's not just in youth group, it's, it's all throughout the church as the body of believers, it is so important that we actually physically show up. And that's what our passage is talking about this morning. So what our passage is going to do for us is give, kind of give us a, a logical flow of here, here is the reason we meet together. Here's the encouragement to meet together. This is why we meet, so meet. But before I go any further, here's one thing I want to make sure is clear. I'm fully aware that it is July 4th weekend. Some people out of town, you may be watching online, I see you. This, this is not a sermon of condemnation at all. Some of you may be in this room thinking, oh, this is the first time I've been to church in you know, three months, or this is not a condemnation. There are, there are actual people that really cannot physically come to church, and they have to watch online. I get it. Just because you missed a Sunday does not mean that you're a bad Christian. So this is not a sermon of condemnation. This is actually, in fact, what this is, this passage, is an encouragement. It's an urging to continue doing what you're doing now. You know that as a body of believers, we are called to meet. So this is just an encouragement to keep doing it. Maybe you've fallen off a little bit, haven't shown up in a little while, you're finally coming back. That's great. Maybe you consistently attend and you haven't missed a Sunday in five years. That's great. This is an encouragement for anyone and everyone. And here's the thing. Let me step into your shoes for just a second because I am literally paid to be here. All right? So I'm going to be here. <laughs> if I wasn't here, I would get fired. So if I take the student pastor's shoes off and say, I don't work for a church, I would have to reckon with this idea as well. So this is not a, Nathan, you're a pastor and you're telling us to come to church and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I get it. This is simply an encouragement. So I wanted to, I wanted to, to say that first, but I also wanted to give us a little bit of a sense of what's going on in the church today. This might be a gut check for some of us, but we are living in what I would call a post-pandemic problem where we have been given the gift I believe it can be a gift. I know there's a lot of things wrong with it, but I, can't, I do believe it is a gift when we use it correctly, but we have been given the gift of technology. We have the ability to have cameras back there that are streaming what's happening right now to where people can watch pretty much anywhere in the world. That is an absolutely incredible gift that we get to be able, we, we're able to watch a sermon online or watch the worship service or partake in church from home when we can't make it. That's a gift. But I think, I may be wrong, but this is what I'm seeing, I think we got pretty used to being able to watch online that we started to abuse the gift of technology. Because for 2,000 years, pretty much, let's say 15, 16, 1700 years, technology like this did not exist. So there was no option for online sermons. That didn't exist. So I think what I've seen is that we have gotten comfortable, we as in the body of believers as a whole, not just this church, right? 
But I think we have started to abuse the gift. And so my encouragement to you from our text is to do exactly what you're doing right now, showing up to church. That's what our text is saying, and that's all I'm going to say to you this morning. But let me read you a quote from a guy that's a lot smarter than me who put it a lot better than I just did. Um, it's a guy named Mel Walker. He wrote an article for uh, Christianity.com. It's a very famous Christian website. Um, and this is what he said. He said, current culture, this is a longer quote, so bear with me. Current culture makes it easy for both individuals and family members to get involved in other activities instead of faithfully attending and serving the Lord in a local church. So many activities today tend to conflict with church schedules, and the internet provides an abundance of podcasts, recorded sermons, and the live streaming of a host of church services that it has become easy for people to do other things instead of attending church. Then he goes on. God's word teaches the importance of active participation in a local church. Believers must make church attendance a priority in their personal and family schedules and put going to church ahead of other seemingly beneficial activities. So I could just pray and say, all right, have a good day. Don't you feel good now, right? Um, I really believe the reason he's saying that is because the Bible tells us to do it. Because we have a reason to do it. It's, it's our assurance of faith. The reason that we meet together, our assurance of our faith, knowing what Jesus did, that is what stirs us to meet with, encourage, and love one another in the church context. And that's what we're going to see in this passage. So look at your Bible with me one more time. Actually, this, it won't be one more time. It'll be a couple more times. Look at verses 19 and 20 again. Because here's the thing. You might have read over it. You might have missed it the first time. Totally fine. But there's some serious Old Testament stuff happening in this passage. Like some serious Old Testament theology that we've got to work with. Because it's giving us the reason why we're supposed to meet. And it's giving us specific reason. Not just Jesus died for your sins. This is, this is a very specific reason why we are called to meet together as a body of believers. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, what is that? And he goes on, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain. What are we talking about with a curtain? That is his body. So, okay, so Jesus' body is a curtain, apparently. So there's some things happening in this passage that we have to understand in order to know why we're supposed to meet together. And so what the author of Hebrews is doing here, which we actually, just a fun fact, we don't really know who the author of Hebrews actually is. There's lots of fan theories and stuff about, but you can go reach, you know, you can go research that. But the author of Hebrews, what this person is trying to get at is they are actually pointing back to something that happened in the Old Testament and the significance that it had in the New Testament when Jesus died, right? So if you, uh, raise your hand if you have actually like um, started uh, the one-year Bible and got to about Leviticus and you're like, ah, I'm out. I can't do it anymore. I'm done, right? Yeah, got some hands ready. Perfect. Me too. Okay. So it's actually people start to get a little stumped closer to the end of Exodus because you start to see some chapters and it's chapters. It's not just a couple verses. It's full chapters of just these, this layout of how to build something called the tabernacle 
how to build something called the tent of meeting. And you're just like, Lord, you have got to tell me what this means because I... What's the significance? I just want to get past and let's just get back to the killing and the death and all the fun stuff, right? But we skip this portion. But I want to encourage you not to skip this portion because it has a lot of significance for what we're talking about today. See, God was giving the Israelites instructions on how to build something called the tent of meeting so that he could dwell among his people. Literally, God, the creator of the universe, was giving his people, the Israelites, the ability to build something, to create something to his specifications so that he, a holy and perfect God, could dwell among the imperfect and unholy people. He was giving them an incredible opportunity, really. And so he gives them all these specifications, and I, I had a picture, but it came up super blurry, so uh, I'm just going to try to describe it. It's just try to, you know, use your imagination. I'll do the best I can. But, so you had this, this um, tent of meeting where there were multiple levels within. So you've got one area of this, imagine a rectangle, right? Uh, you can go into a certain point, and then there's a curtain. And then there's another room that you could go into, and then there's another curtain. And then that final room was the Holy of Holies. That final room, the center of the tabernacle, was the Holy of Holies. And that is where God dwelt. That is where God dwelt with his people. Certain people could get past the first door, and then certain people could get past the second door, but not everybody. In fact, really only one person could go into the Holy of Holies, and that was the high priest. The high priest had to, before he could even go into the Holy of Holies, the high priest had to go through a bunch of ritual cleansings and all these different things to make himself holy enough to be able to enter into the presence of a perfect and holy God. Not just everybody can do that. And so this has a major significance when we start to look at things that are happening in the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, you had the temple. And the temple was built in a similar way, where at the very center was the Holy of Holies, and not just anybody could go into the Holy of Holies in the temple. That was, that was reserved for the high priest after some serious cleanse, like taking a bath and taking a shower like three times before he could actually go into the Holy of Holies. But then there's this guy named Jesus. Remember I told you that Jesus is superior that Jesus in this passage says he is the high priest, right? We see in the Bible that he's the king of kings, that he's the Lord of lords. We literally just sang about it. There's this guy named Jesus that shows up, God in the flesh, and he goes to the cross, and he does something of major importance that still matters for us today. So he goes up on the cross, Dying for the world's sins. Dying for your sins. But that's not just it. He does something else that is absolutely amazing. And it's something that I don't actually hear talked about a lot. But Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, this is the part where Jesus has died. And verse 51 of Matthew 27 tells us what happens when he dies. This is what it says. It says, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, we could argue all day long, 
if the, the, the curtain, the veil was physically torn in two or if it's just a metaphorical thing. The bottom line is the fact that Jesus made the Holy of Holies available. He tore it. He died as the high priest. He died to place his righteousness upon you. The Holy of Holies where God dwelt was now approachable for everyone who would place their faith in him through his sacrifice. So Jesus dying on the cross, instead of just the high priest only being able to, you know, he's got to wash his hands and do some things before he can go in. No, the veil has been torn in two and now a direct relationship with God, with a personable and holy God is now available for those who would place their faith in him. That's what Jesus has done. Jesus has given us the ability to have a vertical, personal, individual relationship with the God of the universe, with the creator of literally everything. That's what Jesus has given us. But it doesn't stop there. This relationship, the vertical relationship, affects the horizontal relationships that we have in life, right? The fact that we have a relationship with God now leads us to go and love other people. Jesus tells us the greatest command. Love God. That's been given. Love one another. And so what our author is doing here is setting a foundation and saying, let me give you the reason why you're supposed to meet. We're not just, hey, let's just meet just for fun. Like, yes, it's enjoyable. It's great to be around people that you love and know and care about. Meet new people, go and serve together, go and do things together. That's all great. But this is, we're meeting together for a purpose. There's a reason that we gather as a body of believers, and it's because Jesus tore the veil in two. It's because Jesus placed himself up on a cross so that you could have a direct relationship with him. That's why we meet together. And so then the passage goes on, verse 22 and 23, and he says, hey, in response of what I've just told you, verse 22, draw near to God. I've made it available for you to draw near to God. So what do you do? Draw near to God. Draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our blood or our, our bodies washed with pure water Let us hold unswervingly to the hope, the hope we just talked about. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. That's why we meet. That's what we're supposed to do because we can. We have been given this opportunity to be in a relationship with God himself. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, kind of the application of this passage. He goes on, verse 24 and 25. He says, and let us, hey, draw near to God. Go ahead and do that. There's something else I want to tell you. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Notice that. Some are in the habit of doing. This was written a very long time ago, so this is not a new problem. This is something that's already been happening. He's literally writing, he or she is writing and saying, hey, I've seen this. You guys have started to neglect meeting together to the believers he was writing to. You guys have started to uh, kind of wane off a little bit. Hey, 
Don't neglect to meet together. There's a reason that we meet together. So let's continue to meet because this is important. Christianity, though we may have an individual relationship with God, it is not an individual faith. Christianity is not an individual faith. It is a corporate faith. It is a community faith. When God created Adam, he said, ah, he needs a partner. God created us to be in relationship with other people. God created us to need each other. God created us as a, and you've heard this metaphor time and time again in the New Testament, probably from stage, you've heard it in Bible studies, you've heard it all over the place, that we are a body. We're a body of believers. We're a community of a believer. And what happens when we don't have every member of the body, things start to get a little tricky, right? When, when members of the body physically are missing Things get a little hard, right? So what I would love to do is I want to illustrate this in just a fun little cheesy way, okay? I want to invite, actually, my little sister, uh, Faith, up on the stage. So uh, go ahead and make your way. Give her, give her a round of applause. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm, uh, I'm actually her favorite brother um, and her only one. So, um, all right, Faith, I want you to write my name on the top of this sheet, nice and big, just write my name, that's it, and I'll tell you what to do after that. <clears throat> Whatever you want to do. Make sure it'll fit. You gotta write my last name too, our last name. What? Yeah, you can write our last name right there. There you go. <clears throat> Perfect. Awesome. All right, now, what I want you to do so I want you to close your eyes. I want you to use, I want you to take away your right hand. And I want you to write my name again with your eyes closed with just your left hand. All right? Here we go. Let's see how great this is. Oh, this is awesome. Yep. I mean, you can just stick with my first name if you'd like. There you go. And perfect. So the difference is that. This is great, right? I'm not making fun of you. Anybody would be terrible at this, right? So this is, uh, this is awesome. So here's my last thing that I'm going to have you do, okay? I want you to close your eyes, not use any of your hands, and write my name on the paper. Just kidding. You don't have to do that. Great job. Go have a seat. <laughs> Give it up for my sister. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, silly illustration, but there's a point to it. When you don't have every member of the body, when you can't use every member of the body, the body doesn't function the way that it's supposed to. And the same goes with the church. Same goes with the body of believers. And you may not know this. You may have thought about this. You may have not. But a lot of us, when we think about showing up to church, we think about it in a sense of, I am going to church to go worship God. Perfect. But have you ever thought about the fact that someone else might actually need you to be there? Someone else in the body of believers may be really struggling with something, whatever it may be, might be going through the hardest time of their life, and just by simply seeing your face, 
at church is what can bring joy to them. Just by you showing up to church could bring light and joy to someone else who may need it. So when we show up as a body of believers, when we show up to church individually, we're not just showing up to church for us to alone worship God and nobody else matters. We're showing up to worship God as a body, as a community. And that's why our author uses the words one another and together. Let's not neglect to meet together. Because here's the thing. Showing up to church week in, week out on a consistent basis may kind of feel a little numbing at times. It may feel like the same thing over and over and over. Sometimes it feels like that. Sometimes it doesn't. But what we do here as a body of believers by meeting together has eternal, let me repeat that, eternal significance. We're not just meeting on a random Sunday and then going home and nothing has changed. No progress has been made. Nothing's happening. No, we're actually, whether you know this or not, we are taking part in God's redemptive plan of our earth and our body into and back to its original Eden state. We are, God has given us the responsibility and the opportunity to take part in bringing about the new heaven and the new earth. We have something to look forward to because of what Jesus did. And there's a lot of other things that we do as believers, but this is one of the main things. This is it. Meeting together, edifying one another, mutually encouraging one another, loving one another, serving one another, caring for one another. All the one another's that you can possibly think of, that's what we're here to do because we are taking part as a body of believers in the plan of redemption that God has set out for us. It's more, it's more than just butts on a seat. <laughs> and I know maybe some of you are like, Nathan, like I said, you're, the, you're one of the pastors here. You're supposed to tell us to come to church. Spot on. I'm going to tell you to come to church. But I'm not telling you to come to church so that our numbers look good. Brian's not telling you to come to church so that our numbers look good. We're asking you to come to church. We're encouraging you to come to church. We're urging you to come to church because we know what it can do for the body of believers. We know the significance that it has, not just for you, but for me. For the staff members, you're the reason we do this. And if you don't show up, what are we here for? We are moving in an ever-increasing online world, but the body of believers has to stand firm on the fact that we are called to meet together physically in person. So I have one application for you. A good, a good preacher usually has a good application. I have a subpar one, but I feel like it's okay. My only application is that you show up. That's it. Show up. Because we have a God that deserves for you to show up. And there are other people in this room that need you to show up as well. So just show up. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the body 
Thank you for the church. Thank you for who you are. God, we are so undeserving of your mercy and your grace and your love and your kindness and your goodness, but you give it to us anyways. And so our response, our response is to come together as a body to represent you as the bride of Christ well, to worship you, to obey you, and Father, I ask that you continue to push us towards that. God, as we sing this last song together, I ask that you will open our hearts, solidify your word in our souls. Because the least thing, the least that we could do is to sing at the top of our lungs for what you've done by sending your son Jesus to uh, tear the curtain, to give us a direct relationship with you. Father, we say all this in your name. Amen.